Welcome to God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate that. Yes, sir, I do. Now, greetings and welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe Inlow. I am Joe, and I want to wish everyone a happy new year. I hope God brings all my listeners into a closer walk with him and helps all of you become more like Jesus in 2023. We are currently in our discussion about the second relationship God created, and that is the couple and God, also known as the marriage covenant. God ordained the marriage covenant, and it only works as he intended when he is the head of the marriage covenant. Remember, God's love language is obedience to his word and commands. It is no different than the marriage covenant. You can't get married and expect to make it work based on what you think you know. The marriage involves the integration of two different people with distinct personalities and experiences two different sexes, two different family histories, two different understandings of how the rest of their lives should go. Its success is one of the most difficult things to accomplish on earth, but it can open great doors. If we, as we have discussed in past episodes, the fulfilled and successful Christian life on earth can only be understood when we take a God-centered point of view. Understanding why God commands what he commands, like why there is evil, why there is death, and why there is heartache, and all such questions can only be understood when we see all things through God's point of view, not ours. It is not about us, but we can reap the rewards of fellowship with him on earth and in heaven if we live according to his plan for us. This is a training ground here on earth, a training for future reigning. Dying to yourself and living for him is what your mission is at its core. You must hear his voice, do his will, and bring glory to him through the fruits of your life just as Jesus did. It is actually a saving grace to put God at the head of your marriage. When you do, all answers and decisions are God-centered and not to be blamed on one spouse or the other. You pray about the critical and most important decisions and reach an agreement after hearing from the Holy Spirit. Even the little decisions made by each spouse on their own are reached after being led by the Holy Spirit. At least it would be if you just take a little time and say a prayer. Yes, it is that dedicated to doing things according to God's will, of course, As you learn more and more about God's Word, some of those smaller decisions can be made instantly. The answers are now in line with the godly nature and character that is being built in you. The more you become like Jesus, the more you can make, or the quicker you can make those uh, small decisions. Before I take some time to discuss the merging of the two families when a couple gets married, let me talk briefly about the institution of marriage. It is God-given or excuse me, let me ask that in a question form. Is it God-given or just a social tradition? You hear so much debate about that today. Most of us are familiar with Genesis 2.24, 
where it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first occurrence of this instruction, and it came right after Eve was created from Adam and was brought to him. They were joined together in the sight of God after God gave her away as her father. In verse 222 says, God presented her to Adam. If you are married in Christian fashion, then God has put it together. He is there to witness the joining, and your earthly father, our representative, now gives you away. God said seven times during the creation story that what he created was good. The only time he said it was not good was when man was alone. Now, we have talked about Adam being alone in a couple of previous podcast episodes, and I made the argument that Adam was alone, but not lonely, because after all, he had relationship and fellowship with with God. God's plan for Adam and mankind had to have a provision for multiplication and for learning to love and be loved as God is. Marriage is a God-given provision, not a social invention. Marriage is about companionship through relationship and fellowship with each other. We discussed this in the first three episodes on marriage. Remember, you can't love if there is no one to love or be loved by. After dividing Adam into both the male and female species, Adam then needed to work with Eve to accomplish all things, especially as it pertains to raising and teaching the family. After the fall, man now needed to intentionally try to love, to be humble, to put away his selfish desires. He is not to think of himself as self-sufficient because God has now left him intentionally inadequate with a need for the gifts and strengths, not merely of another person, but of another kind of person, the opposite sex, a woman. As Gary Enrig says in his book, Pure Desire, the woman will be a helper to him in a way another man could not be. At the dawn of humanity's existence, God is making the man aware that the woman's special strengths will compensate for his God-designed inadequacies. He will only be able to carry out his divine mission with the aid of the special helper God is about to give him. Adam was complete until the attributes to make Eve were removed from him. Now the woman completes the man. Obviously, this is why the sexual organs correspond to each other. Adam does not need a helper who is a replica of himself, but one who is a counterpart to him. Men and women are equal and interdependent but they are not interchangeable. There are God-designed differences between the sexes. That is why and how marriage is grounded in creation, not social invention. In a perfect Christian world, both the woman's and man's family would have brought up their children in similar fashion, believing and behaving like Christians. The children would then become young Christian adults that continued deepening their relationship and fellowship with God and friends and acquaintance around them. They were The whole neighborhood would have been Christ-like. This would then make it easy to find a suitable mate, having been associated with like-minded individuals most of their lives. Even if they traveled and interacted with new Christian believers, finding a mate would still be relatively easy. 
But the reality of our world today is that people come from all sorts of backgrounds, each having different experiences and levels of religious devoutness. If you went through any premarital counseling, and I hope you did, the counselor should have addressed the potential problems inherent in joining two people from different backgrounds. Many do not receive premarital counseling or ignore the, the advice given. They think that their relationship is the exception to all the negative rules. Because, after all, their love will conquer all the problems or differences, right? No. This happens even to those who are on their second or more marriage, but usually to a lesser degree, thank goodness. Being totally devoted to your religious beliefs and lifestyle is one of the healthiest and most beneficial things that can help a marriage. Unless, of course, there are different beliefs at hand. Traditions have to be considered. Expectations of the children by the in-laws after marriage are also concerns that need to be dealt with. Families become a tight-knit group as they're growing up. And some of, these can, uh, some of this can cause problems for marriages. You know, if the families become too enmeshed, too tight, and they don't want to let them go. God did not intend for this to be this way. Here is what I believe should occur when a man and a woman get married. In Genesis 2.24, we talked about it. It says that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And Jesus reaffirmed this statement in Matthew 19.4 when he was talking about this scripture. He pointed out that it is God's command for them to leave and cleave when he said he created them. He who created them told them to leave and cleave. With that, God declares that marriage involves leaving and leaving Parents implies a fundamental shift of loyalty from the parents to the spouse. The term in Hebrew is a strong one and can be translated as abandoning or forsaking one's parents. Well, since most families in ancient biblical culture did not usually relocate geographically like a lot of us do today, this means that they are to leave relationally a fundamental reordering of one's status in a family. Basically, you're saying that you are no longer a dependent child of your parents. You now belong to your spouse and are establishing your own family. Your marriage is a publicly declared bond that says to the world that you have a new status and new primary relationship and goals. You are now committed to your relationship with your spouse and future family of children. You have become a new family in and of your community. Your once parent-child relationship that transcended all other relationships has now been replaced by the husband-wife relationship. Parents should step back from a primary caretaker role to one of a consultant when your advice is requested, and only then. All loyalty and commitment must be given to this new relationship over all others except your relationship with God. This requires a significant change of lifestyle, including boundaries to protect this new relationship the Lord has brought into being. As witnesses to the marriage, parents, relatives, and friends gave their blessings to it and now must let this relationship grow as God intends it, not the way they want it to. A shift in your relationship with all others has been created and they must accept it. There will be a fundamental difference in your relationship with all others now that you committed to this marriage. They are still involved in your life, but in a different manner. In order for this to take place, strong fences by way of strong commitment must be established. 
you married your spouse, not members of his or her family. Within those strong fences, a marriage and the family can flourish. Now, God declares that a marriage involves learning, uh, leaving and cleaving. That is as much a covenant as the covenant he has made with us through Jesus, that new covenant. A contract can be terminated, but a covenant cannot. It is a permanent bond. Mike Mason says in his book, The Mystery of Marriage, that to keep a vow means not to keep from breaking it, but rather to devote the rest of one's life to discovering what the vow means and to be willing to change and to grow accordingly. Growing and changing throughout your lives is a blessing from God. A healthy marriage is built on commitments, not feelings. A covenant with God means growth and commitment to change to be like Jesus. And a covenant with a spouse is the same. You change to meet the needs of the covenant, not the other way around. Oneness in a one flesh marriage is about harmony. The unique gifts of each contribute to something greater than what they bring individually. And we've talked about this. It's known as synergism. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts, especially as you grow together, change together, to become the Michael church that is part of the church at large, the bride of Christ. Now, I want to continue my discussion of the gifts of the fivefold ministry and how everyone has a measure of each of these gifts. We already discussed the teacher and preacher attributes and how they can help a marriage. Now I want to discuss how the attributes of an evangelist are crucial to developing and strengthening a marriage. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus sent the apostles out in pairs? Jesus knew that the chance of success for them was better in twos. Iron sharpens iron and two are stronger than one. One can help the other when they are stuck on what they should say or do. A second set of eyes and ears are crucial when it comes to picking up clues for the task at hand. If one falls ill, the other can pray for the other one and so on. Two are definitely better than one on the mission field. Remember, we noted that all the apostles were acting in dual roles when they went out by two. They were apostles and evangelists. Today, an evangelist is seen as one who carries out or carries on the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Also recall, I pointed out that in episode 25, that all may possess the gift of an evangelist in the measure and be obligated to exercise its privilege and duty. But some are specially endowed with it. The meaning of the term indicates that the task of such a person is to function as a spokesperson for the church at large in proclaiming the gospel to the world. An evangelist is like an apostle in function, except that being an apostle involved a personal relationship to Jesus during his earthly ministry in the New Testament. So we see that one characteristic of evangelist is cheerfully and lovingly planting the seeds of the message of Christ into lost hearts. You may not always see the results of your efforts, but an evangelist proudly shares the wonderful work and message of God. It requires the boldness of a lion and the patience of a very successful salesperson. In a marriage, there will be times that one spouse will become weary in the faith and will need encouragement and have their spirits lifted. You will need to uplift them. When the other spouse cheerfully and lovingly reminds the other of the hope and rewards to come, then the other spirit can be rejuvenated. They remind us of the promises of the word and why we believe and, and behave as we do. 
I can tell you from experience that if you have the courage and fearlessness to evangelize your own spouse, everyone else will be easier. It makes you bolder and builds character. The, the character of Jesus starts becoming evident. You will need this character to stand fast against those friends or family members that will challenge you in your faith. You will need it when your children ask questions about your faith. It will help sharpen your interactive skills with your spouse when you two sit and discuss the Word of God as it pertains to your situation. And as I have said before, it will teach you people skills, listening skills, and will help you develop your apologetic skills, those that skills that you use to defend your faith with others. When you hear this good news as you speak it, and your spouse hears the good news, you both listen, and then you must respond to it. You both must do something. God's words are not mere education. They are more like marriage vows. He makes vows to you, and then it is your turn to respond. Your response might be, yes, Jesus, I believe. Change does not happen through information alone, no matter how pleasant that information might be. It emerges from trust or faith. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Your faith and belief in the work God can do through his word in your marriage will soon carry over into all your other relationships and endeavors. You respond, it becomes, it comes to life. You don't just listen. The more you share and discuss the word, the more you know and the more you grow. It will not be long before the word comes out of you in all that you think, do, and say. When raising children, the sweet, loving, and caring words from an evangelist type of parent will pay great dividends to successfully raising them as devoted Christians. The primary motivation behind the three offices we have discussed so far is love. In fact, it is the primary motivation for being a Christian, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and spirit, and to learn to hear His voice, do His will, and bring glory to His name. Remember, God is love. The more you love Him, the better at loving you become, and the more love you give away. In a marriage, this gift of love will be demonstrated many times by what you say and how you say it, just like an evangelist. There will be times that your ability to say the right thing at the right time will make the world of difference to your spouse. This ability comes with time, trial, and tenacity as a Christian. That has, and we will discuss when we talk about the child, when your children see you speaking this life into your spouse, it makes a great impact on them. You must become intentional in your words and deeds as an evangelist would be. Do not allow yourself to become embarrassed. Learn to put off the old self and put on the new. It goes against our sinful nature to live like this. We want to please ourselves and conform to the world. But God designed the world and how it's supposed to function. Don't you think you should get the most from it by living according to His plan? I do. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope you will join us next month for part five of our teaching on the couple and God. Until then, may God bless you and keep you, and may you come to experience a relationship with him and your spouse that includes the most abundant fellowship possible this side of heaven. God bless. Deanna, take us out. 
Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com or you may email Joe at jnlo at GodsLoveLanguage.com. 